Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. Dreams, or nightmares, rather, have a way of feeling so real sometimes. It's the kind of real that almost entirely consumes you. Sometimes it takes something extra unusual or terrifying to happen for us to snap out of it. And then it's over, right? Usually. But what if your dreams were premonitions? Messages meant for you to follow? Would you act on them? Doing so could save your life. Well, we've got a lot to cover tonight. So, let's get started, shall we? I've glitched twice at work. I run a custom trim shop, Hardwood Lumber Yard. Both glitches involve long-time customers, guys who I know on site. The first time it happened was around 2010. We had a few contractors who did enough business with us that they had accounts. They could just sign for materials rather than the usual payment on delivery model. I'm not saying all contractors are shady, but... There's a lot of the fly-by-night guys who say they'll pay when the job's done, but you never hear from them again. I get that not everyone has the capital to lay out for material, but I've been burned enough times to know the difference between an established business and the cash-on-delivery guys. Anyway, call this customer Mr. C. One day, Mr. C comes in and his left hand is heavily bandaged. Obviously, I ask what happened. Mr. C was cutting a piece of plywood on a table saw by himself. Halfway through, it started to fall off the table. He put his hand down to push it back on top of the table and sliced the top of his middle finger, half of his ring finger, and all of his pinky off. We talked about it and agreed how table saws are the most dangerous tools. I actually know more guys who have been injured by nail guns, but I was being sympathetic. Anyway... I didn't see Mr. C for five or six weeks. I saw he had an order ready to pick up one day, and I made sure I was in the shop. I wanted to say hi and check on how he was holding up after his accident. When I walked up to the loading dock, Mr. C and one of our employees were loading red oak baseboards into his box van. Mr. C was using both hands. Both fully fingered hands. I didn't say anything. I just helped him load the material into the van and made sure the paperwork was in order. After he pulled out, I said something to my employee about how I thought Mr. C had cut his fingers from his left hand. My employee just looked at me weird and said he didn't know what I was talking about. This employee knew Mr. C's accident. He was there the day that Mr. C showed up in bandages. I know that we discussed it and nail guns. No one in the shop knew what I was talking about, so I let it go. Mr. C officially retired a few years ago with all of his fingers. My second glitch actually had a witness. July 2018. I was eating lunch in the break room with one of our older employees. We weren't talking, just eating our microwave leftovers, staring at our phones. He grunts and says, 
Mr. K died. I was taken aback and he showed me the obituary. Mr. K had been killed in an automobile accident the previous weekend. Arrangements were scheduled at the local funeral home on Friday. I felt bad that I couldn't go to the calling hours. Mr. K had been a friend of my grandpa's. They were both carpenters. My kid had friends coming over for a sleepover that night, so I wasn't going to cancel it to go to a calling for a guy I didn't really know. My dad was going anyway, so our family was still represented. Fast forward to January 2019. The same employee walks into the office and says that he has a customer that requires assistance. That's our usual code for, here's a Karen that we don't want to deal with. I walk out to the warehouse, and standing there is Mr. K. Longtime employee walks behind Mr. K, looking at me, with his eyebrows raised so high they're disappearing into his ball cap. I was stunned. I greeted him, shook his hand. I asked him how he's been doing. He said he's been fine. We found the couple of boards he needed for his project. He paid and was on his way. As he was pulling out, my employee said, I swear, I thought he was dead. Amazed that I wasn't the only one this time, I agreed. We talked for a while about how we both remembered the obituary. I went back to the office and called my dad. I asked him if Mr. K was alive. He said he hadn't heard otherwise. Dad didn't remember going to a funeral. I've only talked to my employee about it one other time. We chalked it up to an oddity, but it still weirds me out. When I was nine years old, I was playing hide-and-seek with two of my cousins. I was trying to find an area obscure and quiet and unknown to my cousins. I'd spent the most time at my grandma and grandfather's house, more than any other cousin, for weeks and months sometimes. Anyway, it was the countryside, in the middle of nowhere, in a field, with only one motorway. So I came across this child inside of a bush, full of thorns and nettles, and it was in a ditch slightly. It was at the back of a shed in a greenhouse. I talked to the boy in the bush and he said stuff to me like, Why are you here and what are you doing? I don't exactly remember all of it because I was only nine back then, but I'll never forget the look of the boy. His face was pitch black, and if I ever tried to get a closer look, it didn't seem to show an eye or anything. I could only see the side of his nose and cheek. I had a pretty normal conversation full of questions like, why are you in the bush, and where do you live, and where did you come from? After about two minutes of being with this boy, who'd I'd only seen his clothes, I told the boy to wait there, and I ran to call my cousin Thomas, who was a couple of months younger than me. Me and him walked back to the bush, and the boy was gone. And I still find it strange because it's hard to get in and out of a bush like that. Needless to say, I felt bewildered, and then I stopped playing hide-and-seek with Jamie and Thomas. And then I had a talk with them about what I had just seen five minutes ago, about the boy in the bush. 
My cousin then told me, the one who was trying to find me. He said that he saw me talking to myself for a while. And that just bewildered me even more. After that, it was dinner and I told my family members about my experience outside. But of course, none of them believed me. Not even my cousins, eventually. I never saw the boy again. I don't think I ever will. In my teen years, I used to walk around the cornfields in the pitch-black darkness, 2, 3 a.m., listening to music. But even then, I never saw him again. I'll always remember this event, and I don't believe in the word coincidence, so I believe everything explainable, including unexplainable or random, happens for a reason. It was so real to me. All of it. 100%. This happened a long time ago. I'm glad I get to tell this story now. It's pretty mundane, but weird enough to me that I'll never forget it. My friend and I took a trip to a nearby city and stopped at a gas station to grab something to drink and to use the restroom. He went in first, and while he was in there, I picked out my drink. I noticed Pineapple Fanta. I hadn't tried it before, but it sounded interesting, so I decided I'd give it a shot. I know that I didn't just grab the wrong one by mistake. I had to look closely to check the caffeine content of it, as I was trying to limit at the time. When my friend got out, I handed him my drink and my debit card so that he could get whatever he wanted and to meet me in the car. It's important to mention that I'm fairly certain he would never do this as a prank or a joke. We were really close at the time, but even outside of all that, he was never known to do stuff like that. Messing with people never seemed to impress him much. It was also only the two of us anyway, so it's not like he could get a laugh about it with somebody else. We drive somewhere else and start eating. I reach into the bag and I grab our drinks. And somehow, my pineapple Fanta is now orange Fanta. I said something along the lines of, Was there something wrong with the pineapple one? I know that's what I handed you. He looked at the bottle, and he looked at me, confused, and he said that he knew it was pineapple before, too. He was actually going to ask me how it was, since it was kind of an unusual flavor. It really weirded us out for the rest of the day. I know I wouldn't have grabbed an orange one, even if I decided I wanted orange soda instead. I've always thought that orange Fanta was the worst orange soda, and definitely would have gotten sun-kissed or Fago instead. The only thing we've ever been able to come up with is that the cashier accidentally switched it out. But that asks more questions than it answers. Why would she have one up at the counter? Why would it be nearby enough for her to accidentally grab the wrong one? She clearly wasn't drinking it. It was still sealed and cold. The whole thing reminds me of when a variable in software messes up and it reverts something to the default value. Orange Fanta would certainly be the default Fanta if there was one. Maybe the simulation's code got mixed up in there somewhere.
So four years ago, I got hired to do night shifts as a security guy. It was a very old building, dating back to 1917, but in fairly good, renovated condition. Except for some parts. I worked there for two years. Part of the job is leaving the front desk and walking two big closing rounds to check for any dangers like open windows, potential fire hazards, electronics that are still on at the selling desks, in the magazine rooms backstage, etc. The first time I got spooked quite heavily was because of the mannequins. When doing my first round, I walked past quite a few mannequins. And on the second floor, there's a lot of designer clothing I like, so I remembered how some of the mannequins were positioned. The second round I walked, some of the mannequins were facing the opposite side as they previously were. This was within my first month of working there. About three months later, while checking the stock rooms, the radio was still turned on at the third floor. While walking towards it and checking the clothing hanging there, I saw a vague, pale face with black, long hair staring at me from between some of the clothing hanging there. I full-out sprinted towards the doors and was scared shitless. It couldn't have been a person since the clothes hanging there were fairly high up and I saw no legs. At this point, I was questioning my decision to work there. I'd called in sick for a few shifts and decided to try it again, one more time. Fast forward a few more months while checking out the kitchen. I heard whispers coming from the freezer area. I was scared as fuck, but I wanted to be 100% sure. So I took out my phone and I started recording a voice memo and got closer to the freezer. After being there for no more than five seconds and realizing it got louder and I had actual proof on my phone, I ran downstairs and I waited at the desk to finally be able to leave this place. I kept listening to the voice memo. I never realized something like this would actually happen to me. I'm a very down-to-earth guy, and I never believed in paranormal stuff, but this shook me to my core. After this last occurrence, I stopped working there. I've never told anyone about this, and I really needed to get it off my chest. I'm convinced there are things out there that can't be explained. Not exactly a ghost story, maybe a little. Either way, scariest thing I've seen, personally. It was back in the 1980s, late 1980s, in this real small town in San Joaquin Valley where I grew up. There used to be this old mill that was run down, I think a paper mill. It was huge, hazardous, and rampant with shit it shouldn't be. I was relatively young, and I only got to go inside twice. The second time, that's the one we're going to talk about. It was my older brother and two of his friends. Summertime, out well past dark. I'm 11, my older brother and his friends are 14, 15. After cutting through some woods behind our apartments, we come to some fencing on the side of the mill that was cut. People made sure to close it back up so it wasn't so obvious to the cops that would drive through. 
They were rare, but you can never be too careful. Once inside the fencing, it's easy to enter the mill itself from various different points. This time we took this ladder that hung vertically along one of the large metal cylinder buildings. I hadn't done this the first time, but they all seemed so confident, so I went up too, my brother being the last one behind me. We were about halfway up the ladder when my brother's friend, the one on top or the very front, tells the other friend underneath him to stop messing with his feet. They argue that they're not doing that, back and forth, so it goes. My brother yells, not angrily, but jokingly. I look down at him for reassurance, and he smiles, scoffing, telling me, don't worry about it. Then he yells up for them to keep going. I'll never forget how much I thought everything was fine, how reassured I actually felt by my brother. He believed it too, I could tell. But within moments, everything changed. We hear my brother's friend scream out a real troubled scream, followed by the other friend doing the same. As I'm looking up, I see that the first friend's body is no longer vertical against the metal ladder. He's falling backwards, and in his hand is the step or the handle for the ladder. Within moments, there's a couple of hard noises to hear, and then we're all screaming. The friend has already hit the ground before we've even made it down the ladder, praying that none of these bars come loose or break. When we make it down, I can't help but hear his friend moaning in agony. I look over, and with help from the various distant streetlights, I can see that there's a piece of large metal sticking out of his shoulder, and I can see his shin bone. I just stand there in horror. My brother attempts to shield me, but the damage is done. He grabs me, and he starts walking me to the fence area. He tells me that I have to go. I have to grab an adult and call 911. So I start running. When I get to the tree line, I look back and I see the both of them standing over the friend. I look up at the ladder, and I swear I see someone up there. I see someone on the ladder. I look back down at the group. Nobody's missing. I yell to my brother, to both of them, pointing at the ladder violently, jumping, screaming that there's someone up there, someone on the ladder. My brother looks. They both do. But then my brother just yells at me, deep, loud yell, ordering me to call the police to get the fuck out of there. I do it. I run to the front office and I tell the lady that we need an ambulance. When she asks me all the questions that somebody would ask, like what happened, all I can manage is that there's a kid with metal in his body and his bones are sticking out at the old mill. It was a little scattered, but it got the attention of everybody involved. No adults would actually let me leave the office after that, so I didn't get any first-hand experience of what happened after. My brother's friend did survive. He broke the hell out of his leg and a few other things, but he got lucky with no head injuries. We all got lucky. As for the person or whatever it was on the ladder 
the thing I know I saw. I have no idea what that was about, but there was something there, and it terrified me in that moment. And it was right around the area where something terrible had just happened. I don't know. The older I get, the more I wonder. I was house-sitting for a co-worker when I experienced the strangest thing. My co-worker told me that I could help myself to anything while she was away. She said that she would prefer it, actually, so she didn't have to throw away perfectly good food when she got back. The first night there, I decided to make tacos. Little for me, little for her little pupper's Milo. I took note of the things that she had in her fridge, and I started planning meals for the next three days. As for beverages, not a lot of options outside of some wine and milk, which I don't drink either. So I made note to go to the store and grab some almond milk, some juice, in the morning. The next day, after my shift, I headed to the store and I grabbed the goods. I went back to her place, fed the pup, and then I opened the fridge to put the drinks away. When I did, I was shocked to see the exact items I bought were already in the fridge. I looked back at the counter, and there they were, sitting on the counter. I looked back at the fridge, and there they also were. I wanted to, like, document this somehow, but I realized there's just no way to convey the strangeness with a photo or a video. It just looks like groceries. But to be in my body at that moment... To see what I saw, I was shook. I casually asked my coworker if she by chance drinks pog juice or silk brand almond milk. Her answer, no, but there's a two liter of Diet Coke in the cupboard if you're thirsty. Not exactly what I was looking for. I guess the worst thing to come out of all of this is I have two of the things I love, but... What the actual hell happened here? I was leaving the bar tonight around 12.30 a.m. into the parking lot that they share with a few other businesses. I felt that I should grab my pepper spray and keys from my purse for some reason, but it wasn't far from where my friends were standing and I didn't need the keys to open the car. This might be where it all started. I walked the 15 yards to my car, and again, I don't need the keys to open the door as long as they're on my person. I open the door and look inside, like I've done a million times in this parking lot, and sitting there is a man that I immediately do not recognize. I immediately freeze and ask, Hello, who the hell are you? Meanwhile, I take in that he's sitting in my passenger seat, going through my glove box, holding my registration. He says, Are you... Name similar to mine. I try to think, how can I get out of there fast? Because my mind goes to the idea that he could pull a weapon at any point. I say, No, but I'll go get her. And I turn around and run back to the bar to tell my friends and the bartender. 
They check it out 30 seconds later, and the guy took off before anyone could see him. My keys automatically unlock my car, if I'm within a certain distance. This must have left my car unlocked at some point, and some guy took advantage of it. Maybe he didn't mean physical harm, but he could have taken advantage of my vulnerability and isolation if he chose to. And I could be dead right now. Criminals don't like being caught in the act. I have four cats. We just got a new kitten a week ago. He was a stray and is still adjusting to living inside. I tell you that because he's, like, still sneaking around, mostly staying in the basement where the food and litter boxes are. He's terrified of my dogs. They ignore him. And he's come to the top of the basement stairs for a treat with coaxing. So last night, I'm getting settled in bed, TV and bathroom light on in my room. My other cat, still a kitten, about seven months old, and larger than the new kitten, comes into my bed like she does every night. My husband and I both greet her and say, Oh, it's really time for bed. Stars is ready for her tuck-in. Well, I'm petting my plump calico kitten, and the TV show gets really bright, and I look down, and it's freaking Void, our new black kitten. I sit up and say, It's Void in our bed, not Stars. And my husband turned the light on because he doesn't believe me. Even he's shocked, because Stars is... Calico and Void is solid black, and we both saw stars come into the room like she does every single night. So Void had braved two sets of stairs, his fear of the dogs, who are also in the bed, and is just chilling on my lap. And I get this weird sensation because stars is chunky and Void is much smaller and skinny, and all of a sudden he feels like nothing in my lap where I just felt the full weight of my chunky girl. So a few minutes later, here come stars again to get tucked in between us. We look at one another and say, Weird. Void tears out of our room like I dragged him up there, and stars gets on my lap. Cats are a glitch, man. I don't know how people feel about haunted objects, like if they believe in it or not, but my story involves something of the like. My grandpa was sort of mean. There's grumpy and then there's mean. Most family members were afraid of him, or at least catered to his mood. He really set the tone of the room, if you catch my drift. Just before he died, I was about 14 at the time, He told me that I was the only one with sense in the family. Not true, but I indulged. He told me never to listen to a thing that my Uncle Eric says because he's a dumbass and a real pansy. Also, that I should make sure my mom gets some friends. That I should be nice to her because she's going to be lonely when my father eventually leaves her. None of this was true, of course. I mean, I guess my dad could still leave my mom, but I really don't see it. Anyway, he tells me that I'll be all right if I just remember those things, that everything will be all right. Then he gives me his pocket watch, 
I was a bit taken aback by the gesture. He'd never given me so much as a birthday card, and he held this watch every day. Days later, he passed away. For two years following his death, these are the things that happened with that watch or with that watch in the room. The first was the day he died. I can't remember why, but my dad had my grandpa's watch with him. When he came home, my mom gave him the news that grandpa had passed. While sitting at the table, my dad lets out a short but loud, Ow! And reaches for his chest. He pulls the watch out of his pocket and says that it just shocked him or something. He sets it on the table, and right as he removes his hand, the watch pops open, revealing the clock portion. We all sort of react differently. My dad jumps a bit and then seems kind of pissed off. My mom is telling him to be careful, even though he clearly set it down gently. And me asking, is it broken? Why does it say 3.30? The time read 3.30, even though the actual time was past 5 p.m. My grandpa's birthday was March 30th. Coincidence? Maybe. But things like this would continue to happen. One morning, my mom had left the iron on, to which I didn't know. I didn't have school that day, so it must have been summertime. I was just hanging out in my room, reading, when I thought I heard something fall. It sounded loud or heavy, but there was no shattering sound. Two seconds later, my cat comes running in my room like a psycho and then back out. I decided that she's knocked something over, as cats always do especially mine. I decided not to waste the energy of investigating, and instead, I went back to reading my book. Shortly after making my choice, I hear the sound of the pocket watch clicking open. I turn to look over at it, and it's open, swinging slightly. Then the word, Go, go, fills my ears. The voice is my grandpa's. I sort of jolt up, and though I know I won't see anything, I'm looking around the room, half expecting to see my grandpa. I considered walking over to the pocket watch, but the only way I can explain what happened next is that I felt willed to walk away, to walk out of my room. And so I did, until I reached the living room, where I saw that the iron was knocked over, laying on the ground, half against the carpet, and half against the wood coffee table, with magazines under it. It smells slightly like burning, so I run over and I note that the iron is on, and it's already started to burn its surroundings. I just stood there with the iron in my hand, and I said, Thanks, Grandpa, as I unplugged the damn thing. One of the last times I remember anything happening like that was when I was 16. My parents were arguing one night, nothing serious, but I could hear them from my room, and I was half listening to what it could be about. Money, big surprise. I suddenly heard the familiar clicking sound of the pocket watch opening. I look over to where it's hanging, and sure enough, it's open. As I get up to go look at it, I hear my mom yelp. What the fuck? That's unusual, I think. So I open the door and I head down the hallway. 
My parents are standing in the home office, just looking at each other. What happened? I asked while looking at my mom. But it was my dad who answered. We just heard your grandpa. While arguing, they both heard my grandpa's voice consume the room, saying, Shut up already. To which they both listened, apparently. I basically started carrying it around with me, wherever I went. I still do, actually. Has its own compartment in my purse. Could be superstition, but I really think somehow it's good luck, or offers me protection. And I definitely feel my grandpa is connected to it, somehow. What I remember most is how dark it was. Then no matter how much I tried to bring in light, I couldn't. My eyes opening and closing, producing the same darkness each time. It felt like this darkness stayed forever. It felt like true time, not dream time, if that makes sense to anyone. Even so, I could hear everything. It just took my brain a minute to register that. When it did, I heard the sound of the woods first. Bugs humming and chirping. Frogs sounding off. I thought about how peaceful it was. If you've ever had the pleasure of camping near Common Loon, even as a child, I had a great appreciation for the nighttime singing. Laying there in this somewhat horrible, dark state, I started to wonder, am I paralyzed? If so, why? Then I heard the loon. And it was such a unique tune that I heard. It relaxed me. I no longer feared being paralyzed. Somehow I understood that wasn't my truth. The darkness remained and I allowed myself to lay there, not questioning it, hoping I'd eventually go back to my dream world. But just as I relaxed, I heard what sounded like a flare gun being shot. Then after a while, something even more out of place. Unfamiliar voices, male voices. They sounded far away, further than the loon. Maybe they were the source of the flare. I wanted to know what they were saying so bad, but I couldn't. I was filled with a sense of dread. Then, the loon. Singing the same tune. I felt calm again, and I began focusing on the voices. Slowly, agonizingly slow, these voices started to break through the sound of the woods. I could tell they were close. I could hear one shushing the other. And I heard what sounded like someone cocking a gun. Now time seemed to be flying by. Because moments later it sounded like they were right outside the tent. My tent. There's only three of them. One of them's a kid. We don't kill kids. Yeah, I know, I know. We just, uh, maybe we hit the larger tent. 
We try for the keys, the cash first, you know. As I heard this back and forth, it was like I knew in my bones my parents were about to die. I could feel a tear rolling down my cheek, followed by several more. I listened as these two men unzipped my parents' tent. I was petrified. I wanted to scream, but I had no voice. No sounds accompanied my tears. There was no way out of this total darkness. I just had to listen. Listen as they tried to follow their shitty plan. Listen to multiple voices yelling. At first it was the men, but also my dad. Eventually my mom. I remember I swore that I could even hear my own cries. It was all chaos. Almost immediately followed by even more chaos. Gunfire. Lots of gunfire. And maybe more footsteps coming from outside the tents. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't move. But I just felt like there were more bad guys. Soon... All was quiet, silent, but only for a moment. Then I heard hurried footsteps approaching my tent, someone struggling to open my tent when suddenly I threw myself awake, covered in sweat, completely drenched and trying to catch my breath. Without thinking, I quickly unzipped my tent and I ran into my parents' tent. I unzipped it. Relieved to see them very much alive. I lay down between the two of them, holding the blanket over my head. I started to feel relaxed, being where I was now, able to move but choosing not to right this moment. I couldn't sleep, but at least I wasn't alone. As I laid there in total darkness, I listened to the sound of the woods. I wanted to find comfort in them like I had before, but instead I was hyper-focused on them, obsessive. The bugs, the frogs, the loon. That unique tune. My body just wouldn't let me ignore it. And even though I don't think I knew what I was doing, I woke my parents up, shaking them both. My dad, the first to rise, asking me what's wrong. I tell my dad I think we should go. My mom's awake now. My dad's asking me what happened. I start from the part where these men are at our campsite, discussing robbing and killing us. I tell him they don't kill kids, but there's a lot of gunfire exchanged. But they really just want the pickup and the trailer, the keys... Nothing is coming out as eloquently as I had just heard it play out. He tells me to catch my breath. He thinks about what I said, and he tells me it was a terrible nightmare, that we just need to get some rest. Exactly what a lot of parents would do, honestly. Seems cliche, but what would you do? I sit there and I listen to the noises outside. I know I've heard them all before. Nature always has a way of feeling familiar, but these sounds were actually familiar, like deja vu. My mom pipes up and is telling my dad that he should at least get his gun from the bag and check outside. They mumble back and forth. 
And I grab their arms and I tell them to shh. I tell them if we hear or see a flare gun in the next five minutes, we have to leave. I make them promise. My dad's almost agitated that my mom's so quick to agree, but we all agree. Not even five minutes goes by. Flare gun fires off. My mom shrieks a bit, stops herself, and grabs my dad's arm. My eyes instantly well with tears. I beg them, please, let's go. Now. My dad is still frustrated, and I can see him wanting to go back on his promise. So when he looks at me, my ten-year-old self tells him, matter-of-factly, Dad, we can leave now and get a really good head start on staying alive. Or we can wait for the loon to sing its tune, the weird one, again. Because it will. But if we wait any longer than that, I don't think we have enough time to outrun these guys and their guns. He looks at me intently. He begrudgingly tells my mom to take me and our things and go to the trailer. He's going to pack up the tents and the camping chairs, he says. He's not leaving them behind, he says. I take a lantern to my tent and I grab some things per my dad's instructions. I'm in my tent and I hear the loon for the second time. Chills go down my spine. I take an armful of stuff and I run it to the truck. My mom takes it from my arms and throws it in the trailer. Then she grabs my arm and tells me calmly to get in the truck and to stay there. She starts to head towards my dad quickly, but he's already halfway to her, and he's running. But he's telling my mom to shush with his hands and with his mouth. He's basically the embodiment of a shush in that moment. He's motioning for her to turn around, turn around, to run, run. I unlock the doors. My dad doesn't grab the tents, and he's got no camping chairs in his arms. Instantly, I know something's wrong. He opens the driver's side door, basically tosses my mom into the truck, and throws himself in after, quickly starting up the truck and telling us to get down, handing my mom a pistol, grabbing another from under his seat, and shoving it under his leg. He maneuvers us out of this tight spot in record time. All I'm doing is looking back in the side mirrors, just waiting to see two silhouettes standing there. My dad has extended view on his side, so I reach my neck to see if there's anything, and he snaps at me to stay down. I never get to see what my dad saw, and before I knew it, we were back on the highway. Not too long after we hit the highway, my dad spoke. You saved us, Katie Bear. I don't know how you did it, but you saved us. I don't remember if I said anything back to him or not. What do you say? But I know I'll never forget him telling me that. It gave me so much validation, and I needed that. The rest of our night was spent at the police station. My dad explaining everything that had happened. Sort of. Even as of late, I've asked my dad why he didn't just tell them about the dream, but... He always tells me it's because he wanted him to take him seriously. Explaining that I'm his daughter, and he didn't even take me seriously. 
not at first. It wasn't until he heard the voices and the sounds of the strange men walking in the distance, the loon, all of that, that he started to believe. My dad said he recalled seeing two men earlier on the trip. We'd been looking for places to potentially fish, and when my dad left the bait shop next to our camp, two men were standing near my dad's truck, potentially looking inside. One man even walked to the back of it, touching the trailer, examining it a little. My mom and I were in the bathroom, but it wasn't until he started the truck that they sort of backed off, standing to the side, watching us. It stood out to him. He didn't know why at the time, but when the police asked for a description, he described those men. And things did eventually become of those descriptions. People were arrested, and maybe some others were even saved. Another detail I learned after leaving the station was that my dad had seen the men's silhouette in the trees, in the marsh, just beyond our sight. And they took pause, almost like they could see him too. That's when my dad saw the men reaching, either to the side or behind. He knew they had weapons because they were part of their silhouette. That's when he ran. And once we were elevated enough above the campsite, for just a moment, he could see that it wasn't just two men. There were others, spread out around the site. So getting the police involved wasn't just about us. It was about the various other people that may have been camping out that way. So he couldn't waltz in there and say his daughter just saved his life with a premonition. He needed them to believe him. And I get that. I mean, outside of my own parents, I'm not sure that anyone I've told actually believes me or if they just don't want to hurt my feelings. Doesn't matter to me none, though. Just by standing here today, 18 years later, with both my parents, that's enough satisfaction for me in this life and the next. friends we've reached the end of tonight's episode but remember to join me every friday night for a brand new one and next friday we've got an extra special episode i'll feature two guest narrators and i promise you won't want to miss it friday march 11th at 8 p.m if you haven't already please be sure to like this video subscribe to the darkest hour and tap the bell so you never miss a thing it all really helps the channel and I really appreciate it. You can follow The Darkest Hour on Instagram and join the subreddit at The Darkest Hour YT. If you want to support the channel in other ways, you can become a patron. Just visit the link in the description. You'll be like Misanthropia, Rat Girl, Alicia S., and our newest super patron, Monica L. So, check it out. Thank you everyone who shared their stories and everyone for listening. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, amanda 
darkesthour at gmail.com. Stay spooky. <laughs>